Good morning. Glad everybody is here this morning. Uh, grateful to be here. This panel is about ways to serve as an AA volunteer in corrections. Um, my name is Sandy Lamprack. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety birthday is December the 7th, 1990. Um, home group's primary purpose group of Wilson, North Carolina. Uh, let me qualify real quick. I, I'm, a, I'm a drunk. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I've I done a lot of drinking, did a lot of bad things. I was a bad mother, bad daughter, bad, bad um, wife. I just drinking excelled my domestic skills and it took priority and I, I spent some, some time just under the table. And uh, so I've been, I'm a product of two treatment centers. I was introduced to AA in a treatment, my second treatment facility and, and came out and they, I took instructions as they told me what to do, go to AA, get a sponsor and work the steps. And I spent three years walking around AA, but not getting involved. I was just so scared and so uh, horrified at connecting with people, very spiritually sick, and returned to drinking. And the last time that I came in, December the 7th, uh, I was very fortunate. I was, I was very, very lucky that I walked into a group that was already strong in uh, not only sponsorship, but carrying the message in the corrections facilities. Um, <clears throat> I'm real fond of saying that when I got sober, there were no, no women, hardly any women, in my area, I got sober in a very rural community. So therefore, that left me so, to get sober in a, a, around a lot of men, and they happened to uh, do this kind of work. So I was very fortunate that through sponsorship, uh, I got on board the best I could. My very first sponsor was, was a woman, of course, and she was interested in taking a meeting out to Fountain Correctional Center, which is no longer in existence. And uh, as we prepared to do this, um, we met with the, the people at Fountain, kind of got ideas of what we were going to do, how, what, how we were going to carry it, and got all set and got on board. And about a week before we went in, she moved and kind of just left me holding the bag and not knowing how to not only um, stay sober, um, but have now carry this meeting alone by myself in the fountain. But that's exactly what I did. I, the men in this group carried me very well in terms of, of leading by example. And, and they would talk about going into prisons and, and carrying a message to, to those that couldn't get it. And so I knew that I had to do the same thing for women and that's what I did. I did it for a year and a half by myself. It was, it was, it was a good way to get my feet wet in service work. Um, it was just a good way to, to learn how to stay sober and, and to demonstrate spiritual principles at home, at work, um, in AA, and, and carrying it into the facilities. Um, so, there came a point in time after a while that I became employed with the Department of Corrections, so I couldn't very well act as a volunteer anymore. But what I did was is as I'm maturing spiritually and learning how to sponsor other women, I kind of got them on board and to carrying this thing into fountain themselves rather than me. Um, I learned early on that my women are, uh, if you're being sponsored, you're going to be watched. You're going to be watched by the way you live. You're going to be watched by the way you talk, the way you carry yourself and in AA and out in the community. And it was important that, that the way what I said was going to be important for them to see in action. And so I kind of worked from behind the scenes and, and showing them how to better serve those women that are, that are in prison. And, there was a large facility in the area called the Mary Francis Center that a lot of my women that I sponsored, uh, I was able to get in and kind of show them how to do the same thing that I had done with Fountain. And it grew, it, it, this, this group that took this uh, meeting into Mary Francis, uh, 
it grew. I mean, the women in, in the, well, what a prison, it was like a private prison, but they benefited so much from it. Um, they were able to come out, come to, come to our group in Rocky Mountain. After a while, what I seen was uh, one of the ways that we got to serve was as if, if we couldn't get those women to come out, what we learned was we could write. And I had one woman that I'd worked with, uh, I sponsored, well, the, t this year will be her 25th year being sober, and that's how long we worked together. Now, she was not doing very well with in terms of sponsoring women, but she was very generous at heart, and she gave a lot of her time to AA. So what she would do was she would write these women um, at Fountain and Mary Francis Center. And she did it for a couple of years, and what she learned was <clears throat> what she learned was was she was trying to get the message through letter writing to them and after a letter or two would come back to her what she seen was that they begin to ask for money and so what we we come up with a plan well just if they write you for money just kindly write back and and show them what principles we practice that we don't give you money because because you're in prison it's just against the rules and kind of show them that way, demonstrate through letter writing, demonstrate on paper how you're going to carry the message that way. And so about after the third letter, when they just would refuse to not veer away from the asking for money, she just ended it by letting them know this is not what AA is about, that we, don't, uh, we just don't give money. Um, there's a tradition called the Seventh Tradition, and that's what we practice. So that's, that's one way that we learned early on was a way to serve. Another way that we were able to serve is, is like I said, um, was, was through demonstration of our actions. Um, the women that I worked with sponsored, they would carry themselves in such a way at the Mary Francis Center that there was, you dress appropriately. You don't dress like a hoochie mama. You just dress up, you dress up appropriately. Um, these women are watching you, so they're going to listen to you, and they're going to want what you have. And I think it was important that it, the message that, that they were carrying in, it stood the test of time and it held water. Um, inmates, what we found out was inmates are not interested in... in in what we've done, they're interested in the message of recovery. They're, inter they're interested in how do I stay sober? How do I benefit from these principles? How do I benefit from, from AA as a whole? And all I want is freedom. Well, that's what we, we try to portray. And in um, and, and gathering the meeting, in the meeting after the meeting at the Mary Francis Center, it just, it was, it grew in numbers and in strength. It was very strong. And there's been some long-lasting relationships come by way of that. There's something else that I wanted to mention, too. Yesterday, I don't know, it took me, it will take Pam a whole week to get ready for something like this. It takes me six hours, and even after six hours, I still forgot. I had pulled off, uh, there's a brochure at, um, in, in our AA literature, I think it's like F26, that actually tells us how to correspond with those inmates on the inside. And I, I forgot it, I think it's like F26. But it will tell you in there, if you're interested in doing that, they will set you up with an, an inmate that is not inside your geographical area. They'll, they'll put you with someone outside the area. And I think Steve's real good about writing letters and. Uh, like I said, the, the woman that I have worked with for so many years, she's kind of fe fell away from that. But uh, it served her well, and I'm sure it served those women that she was writing to. So, um, like Kelly was saying this morning, we are um, back in Wilson County Detention Center. And um, one of the ways that we serve the, is, is we've got a rotation list. We had nine women, it's trickled down to seven. Um, Kelly keeps a list of who go, we have two women per week go in. And um, that's one way that we serve. Uh, I'm very fond of, of 
talking about having a servant's heart and what that means to me is is through gratitude this is how I show gratitude in action is as I go in when it's my time to go in if I can't get there that night someone will replace me if someone can't get there that night I will replace them but the idea is is, is that we serve that that detention center uh, because our sobriety does depend on it uh, amongst a lot of other things so um, it's, it's been very interesting to go into this detention center there's been a few times that because it is it's, this is a revolving door uh, there's been a couple of times that we've actually had the officers want to join in the meeting I mean you just you just can't control that kind of stuff you can't very well say no you can't join the meeting but um, they hear they hear us when when we talk they hear us when we share and I think they're fascinated by by us as people um, which is I mean I, I stay sober so they're like I said with a servant's heart, it's just one way that I show my gratitude back to Alcoholics Anonymous. Gratitude has never been a feeling for me, it's always been an action. And before I get started, I had the toughest time in trying to figure out where, which prison, which jail they were going to because there are three different counties sitting here. And as, as I've watched the system change over the the last few years, the names have changed. So I think I'm gonna try to get the counties right, but not necessarily the name of the system. But I have three good servants up here that I've heard Greg for years, and I know Danny and we're related through sponsorship, and they've got wonderful experiences. So I'm gonna let them carry it through. And I think we got Danny coming up first, and he is, which county? Franklin, Franklin County. Hello, my name is Danny and I'm an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is 11-30-98. Uh, my home group is the Nightdale group and I need to get one thing clear before we start here. I am a fill-in, so I don't have high expectations. And I did ask if I should be wearing a, a coat and tie and all. I was given, I was told by my sponsor to just dress nice, so anyway, it's Steve's fault. So, um, so, uh, I want to start by mentioning, you know, I didn't, I didn't spend any time in prison, but I did spend time in Tent City in Arizona. And my experience when I was in there back in 98 was there was no message of re recovery or hope. There, were no, there was nothing in there. It was no, nothing constructive at all. So, um, you know, I was told early on in sobriety, you know, some things like that, maybe I should have gone to prison, that maybe that's a good opportunity, uh, place for me to serve later on. Um, and uh, I've had an opportunity to do a lot of service in different roles in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, there's nothing like this, and there's nothing like y'all. I'm sorry. I came out, I, I was what they described, a lone wolf out there, because when I first moved to North Carolina, um, I was here without my family. I didn't know anybody out here or, um, you know, anybody in the program or anything, and I just, I got a sponsor, and... We went like our third time talking. Uh, he handed me some paperwork and he said, here, fill this out. And I'd always been told, if you ask to do service in Alcoholics Anonymous, you say yes. So um, I looked and it was like uh, uh, an application to, to go into prison. I'd spoken at a prison when I was about three or four months sober in, in uh, Limestone County, uh, Alabama. And, um, but this was a commitment and, it was, uh, and I thought it was great. Um, so I filled out the paperwork. I went. Um, my my sponsor then's name was uh, Harry Anderson. He's uh, say his full name. He's since passed. Um, and when I was going in, there were three people involved in it. And you know just how to, how to be involved in uh, different ways to be involved with corrections. I, I'm going to speak pretty, pretty much just on prisons because I haven't done the jails. Um, I, there is one other thing I, I was involved with too, though. Um, and so I filled that out, and I went and I did the orientation, and I just was kind of like went in with both feet. There were two or three other people who were volunteering, so I was the lone man on the totem pole. By the end of six months, my sponsor had died. One guy who 
I, I, this, I'm not making this up, y'all. wrote a letter to the North Carolina State Board of, of Corrections saying he couldn't carry meetings into AA a meetings into prison unless he could use profanity. I am not kidding, y'all. He was very quickly asked to no longer participate in, in any corrections meetings in the state of North Carolina. He hasn't been back in. Um, that's a true story. Um, and, and then the other guy, and then the other guy just stopped going. So after six months, I found myself out there doing this thing um, by myself. And I didn't really, I, I hadn't been sponsored into doing corrections work, and I didn't know about anything like this. Somewhere, somebody, uh, and I apologize if, if somebody was in here who carried that message to me about this. Maybe I just heard it announced at a meeting, um, which is why I always try to uh, announce it at meetings because that's how I heard about it, and I also try to pitch it to other folks. But I came out here that first year, and I really only came through on my way to go to uh, uh, my, my nephew's hockey match. And some of y'all might remember this, like, I think seven years ago with my then probably like eight-year-old son, and he was sitting back in the back, he was real quiet, sitting next to me in the chair, and I was only gonna be here for a couple hours, and I was. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I was hearing, like what it said with the, the topic, you know, ways to serve in corrections. Um, and I was just blown away. So I started getting numbers. Angel, oh my gosh, Angel was like just a, a flood of information um, about different things. Um, you know, talking to me. So I, I did take some notes. You know, I I didn't have any notes at all. And then Sandy told me she left hers at home. I'm like, oh, maybe I should, do, maybe I should make some notes. So I was running out making some notes there. But you know, th some of the things that were shared with me is um, be consistent. If you say you're going to be there, be there. If you're not, let them know. Be genuine. Don't try to be what you think that they want you to be to relate. Be who you are, and and that they, probably being an example of what you are outside of the prison is more important to them. Um, you know, uh, have a good relationship with the staff. You know, if you have to jump through hoops, jump through hoops. Remember that you're, you're uh, fortunate, you're, that you're allowed to be able to go in there, and it's a privilege, uh, an opportunity. It's not a right. So um, I've had to jump through a lot of hoops. I think a lot of people have experienced some of the staff I work with. They're not the worst, but they're not, uh, they're not above the middle. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, that, that, was, that was a quote from somebody else earlier today. Um, but, you know, I came into a meeting that was only a discussion meeting. Um, they talked about having book studies, but they really didn't uh, do much with that. So I came in, uh, started trying to bring in, you know, uh, a clean message, uh, no profanity, clean message of, of hope, um, uh, try to get them more involved in book studies again. I redid their format for them. And sometimes it was challenging because they were kind of set in their ways with some volunteers who were kind of out on the fringe, not really folks who were taking the, the guidance of, of, of a group like this. So I was trying to help um, trying to help turn around a program in there. So worked on doing some um, meeting formats, tried to encourage them to rotate the chairperson because sometimes you would have a chairperson who would dominate things and they'd been chairperson for a year. And in there, and that person wasn't really even carrying a very strong message. So I was encouraging the staff, hey, it might be a good idea to, to maybe try to rotate every three months and keep this thing a little bit fresher. Um, did a lot to try to help. They had had a little older library of some books that were falling apart, and they didn't have a, a full list of it. So, you know, we had, at the same time, I, I mentioned there was one other thing I was involved with. I had got involved with the Tri-County Intergroup um, Corrections Committee in the, you know, in the, the, the Raleigh and uh, Franklin County, I forget the other, Wake County, Franklin, one other county out there. Um, but I, I ended up being the treasurer for that and helping out with that and found out, oh, you know, we got this money from these lips cans, these literature and prison cans. And um, so she started working to try to get help getting that library um, built up you know, with some some um, books that weren't falling apart and, and a little bit more variety in, print, uh, in, in, in literature. Did try to get in somebody who was mentioned earlier some of the other books, but they wouldn't let us bring any hardbound books in like, uh, you know, uh, A Comes of Age and all. They, they just couldn't make that happen. I actually uh, tried to make a motion to the to North Carolina area to see if the GSO would consider doing those in uh, softback, but that uh, got shot down. Um, Anyways, um, you know, and so I came to Freedom from Bondage and I started learning things um, about, you know, the, the, the poster things. So we started doing posters and I've got posters at home because we couldn't really store them there. And that was a neat thing for them to be part of. 
Um, and, uh, you know, another thing I want to actually mention, the literature thing, is that uh, I, we would, you know, they, it was a thing where they used to give away books at the, at the banquet that we would have every year. Um, and then they started getting really particular about literature and that we had to make sure we were uh, getting literature approved before it came in and we couldn't give them books. Um, and that, and so I really, I wish Katie was here, um, but uh, I had pitched an idea and started something and Katie really ran with it and made it happen, a, a corrections order form. Um, so that the inmates could fill this form out and get some money from the, the, the lip scan literature to be able to get sent out to them. So uh, I, think, I think that's happening now. I think that's still being used, and that's really appreciate Katie's help with that. Um, you know, but, but probably the most important thing, and I'm running a little short on time here, but probably the most important thing was uh, I realized they hadn't had a speaker meeting in there. And that is a really, I think Steve's told me before too, it's probably one of the truest forms of bringing a good solid message into prisons. And so I asked Angel, you know, hey man, you got any ideas for speakers? And oh my gosh, you know, the list started and I, 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 there must be at least a half dozen people, or no, half, a dozen people in here who've spoken for me out there at the Franklin Corrections um, facility. I don't think I mentioned that. As also known as the, the Bun Prison. And um, that's how I've gotten to know a lot of people out here. I didn't know many people. Uh, out in, in AA when I first uh, came out to, to, to the Rollsville area and still don't know a lot in Rollsville area but man I know people from all over the state and even the country in corrections now and this is just uh, the most amazing thing um, uh, that, and I just really want to thank everybody who took the time to come out there and speak to because it is way out there and that had a really big impact on folks unfortunately and I get a lot of folks ours was shut down and um, when they opened back up again last year, I went to the training, and then you know, both my, my folks uh, had terminal illnesses last year, so I kind of fell away from some of that for a while, and I'm kind of getting back into it. But watch out, because I'm going to hit somebody up uh, if I'm able to start going out there again a little later this year. And i got another guy that came out with, it, with me that I'm hoping is going to start going out there too, so we might start hitting up more of y'all for um, to come out and help speak out there if, if we can get back in. But I just really want to take a moment to thank Sandy for, uh, for having me up here. And I mean, y'all have meant the world to me. Um, this is the most, I pitched this to people, there are people um, all over. Uh, a guy I know up in Washington State from a men's group I used to go to, I think went to go see Steve speak um, out in, in Washington State when he was up there a while back. And it's just, I tell people about this all over the country because this is the best service I have ever seen. And y'all are the best examples of service I've ever seen out of Anonymous. Thank you for everything you do. I'm gonna t it's a real it's a real short story, but I've got permission to do this from Steve. Um, the next person that's coming up here is is Robert, but Steve calls him Bob. So <laughs> how that come about was years ago when Robert came into the fold. Um, if you know Steve, he'll give you a nickname sometime, and um, he happened to get Bob. Robert got Bob. So. When Robert's mother found out that Steve was calling him Bob, she begged him, please don't put that on him, and Steve said it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> so Robert is, um, he's trying to get, they're trying to get back and harness it. So, yeah. okay. All right. Thanks, Sandy. Robert Fry, alcoholic. Hey, I'm uh, really grateful to be here. I appreciate uh the story from Sandy, um, it, it is good to be up here on, on a panel with her and, uh, you know, I, I've been well served by this, this conference uh, for my entire sobriety. I, I got sober April 2nd of 1997 and so the conference, I, I believe at that time, my, my memory at that time was a very confused and foggy newcomer, it was for months. Uh, the fact they thought it had a little brain damage and I probably did, maybe I still do, you know, for all I know. But I think it was in the summer. I think the conference was in the summer. It, it, but I remember being in the pool and getting sunburned with a bunch of these Buckeyes here from Ohio. And they were all tanned and looked fine. I come to the speaker meeting Saturday night and I'm like bright red, you know. <laughs> but I, I do think the conference was in the summer at, least, at some time in the early, in the early period. But I'm grateful. Uh, I mean, I didn't know what I had been introduced to. Um, at the time in terms of what was here, what was, you know, the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, I guess. I was swept up at that time 
um, and, and was blissfully unaware of how, how grateful I should have been and, and still am uh, for the men and women who were there and, and uh, were carrying the message and, and you know, folks like Tom and Wallace and, and everybody else that has been here. So very grateful for that. I've been well served by this. I'm grateful to be asked to do this. Uh, it's one of those topics where, you know, I could get going and go forever or I might stand up here and just be done almost immediately. You know, Broken Feather and I did a thing at a prison one time. <laughs> we were supposed to split an hour on, like, home group and sponsorship. And I, thank God I went first, I guess, because I stood up and, and I went through my notes and I gave all I had. And I thought, well, that must have been a while. Looking at it, it had been five minutes. <laughs> you know, and I just, I, I sat down and, and Jerry got up and said, well, I didn't expect to be up here so quickly. But, and he was able to just handle the time, as you know, he would be able to. And, he did a great job. So this may, I don't know what we're going to have today. Maybe one or the other. Maybe like Paige and go to 1230. Or I might be like me and just, you know, sit down in three minutes. So we'll see. But uh, I have gone into Harnett Correctional for many years. Tony Smith, who's here and been a longtime supporter of this, uh, this conference here and a longtime volunteer. Tony Smith was riding a moped to Harnett Correctional in 1990, 91 and has continued to be a volunteer for all of these years. I mean, it's a 30-year it's a commitment uh, that facility, so he's done a tremendous job. But he brought me in when I moved down to that to the Harnett County area, uh, I guess in 2003 or four, and we've been going in. That place is not open yet. Tony's taken a few shots at them uh, to try to get back in there. I need to, to pursue my own efforts, and we're probably going to jointly petition that, that place a few times. I to try to get back in there, but that that's a it was the, the group that was in there was called the Builders Group, and I suspect I'm also concerned that they are still meeting, and what you might have there, you know, because they haven't had any outside volunteers since COVID, um, and even before that, the the prison the relationship with the volunteers in the prison was not ideal in my opinion. It got to be very difficult to do things in there, so we're going to try to get back in there eventually on Thursday nights. And many of you have come and spoken there over the years too, and been into Harnett Correctional with us, but. I, I think I did get my sobriety date. My home group is a Cleveland 12-step group, which I think is in, I hate to admit, I think it's in Johnston County, actually. I think it's where Cleveland 12-step group is. But uh, it's Wednesday nights. There's a couple good group, uh, home group members here with me now. So, But the, the builders group, uh, as it was at the time, I guess I'll just say prior to the COVID shutdown, uh, was a fantastic group. I mean, it was, it was as well-developed an A group as I would see on the outside. In fact, Tony and I would go in there and sometimes we'd have better meetings on traditions and steps at the builders group than we would at our own home group at Willow Springs. Now, Willow Springs is a pretty good group too, but I mean, there were certainly times when we were, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a group that they were sponsoring each other. Uh, Carter Downs was there, James, James Cozo was there, a bunch of guys that were, were doing some good work there. And that was a product of good sponsorship and a, and a product of what we do as volunteers to try to help guide a group. I mean, I think there are some times when you've got to take a stand as an outside volunteer, outside sponsor, and help push them a little bit. And you've got to be careful about that. My, my experience has always been that you try to get into the confidence of a couple of the leaders in the group. And leaders for good or bad, some of the leaders you can, you know, are already doing pretty good stuff, some are not. And you try to get them in, 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 in your confidence with them and so you can get them kind of heading in the right direction. And I've had some really wild people. Um, some, I, I won't mention any names. This guy's out of prison now. He's probably rapidly on his way back to prison at this point, quite <laughs> frankly. But even this guy, just a maniac guy, um, we could get him his energy channeled in the right direction in terms of trying to keep the meeting on track to have uh, format to the meeting have topics for the meeting and he could the problem with him was he'd go overboard you know and he he'd want to be disciplining people in the meeting you know for not staying on topic and stuff so I mean you can go a little too far with it too if they get you know so you, but again I think my, my experience has been in terms of how we serve, sometimes you serve by doing the uncomfortable things. Like I'd love to just be the guy that sat in the meeting and, 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 and enjoyed the meeting, and, and I do, and I do that, but there are certainly times when, you know, someone would, would try to cheer the meeting completely differently. They, instead of following the topics, we, we worked with them, Tony and I, to give them a big list of like AA topics, you know, if they wanted to do a discussion meeting. And then sometimes you'd have a guy come in there and want to just cheer the media and just kind of open it wide, wide open to what, what are our complaints today, basically. And that's just a nightmare. I mean, and sometimes the meeting would just be, you know, the guy's mad. He'd say he, he would start the meeting instead of doing a topic or the step. 
he would he would just say, well, look, I, you know, this guard told me this today, and I want to talk about it, and we just blow the whole meeting up. And it, it's our job to try to to try to work with them through that. And we and once you get a pretty well developed group, it's easy to kind of combat that or, or to deal with that. But it's it's not always easy to develop the group. It takes a long time. Dean Coley at Wayne Correctional developed a group out there, and um, as good as any group I've ever seen as well, and, and it's good it's good or better than the builders group of Harnett Correctional. But that's just a product of, as everybody says, showing up every week, showing up trying to carry the message, showing up being prepared to, to, to do the uncomfortable things sometimes and to say, this is how I think we should be doing it here. This is the way I'd like to see you guys do that. And again, you got to be careful how you push that. But I like to I like to do it through just a couple of the group members and help using that influence, you know, subtly and slowly. I don't expect great changes sometimes, although we've had that sometimes. But it, but to influence them about what is an A group and and how you how you chair a meeting and how you carry a message inside there. And so that can be really, you know, I, I think they can be very receptive to that. There's probably some other very well uh, developed AA groups. I just haven't been to all of them, but those two were as, were as good as I've ever seen. And so as Tony and I get back in Harnett Correctional, I, I'm curious as to sort of what we'll find when we get there. I'm trying to keep an eye on my timer here. But I do want to, I, I, I am an alcoholic here. Um, again, I've been very well served. I was a guy who got sober uh, young in Alcoholics Anonymous and I at times was very prideful of that fact that I, I, I sort of beat some of you here in, in, in a weird way. And then I've been ashamed of that at other times. I've been sober now a little over 25 years, and I can't even believe that myself. It doesn't even seem quite right. I was talking to Bob Delf earlier. My, my son is 16 and driving now. You know, he's like a, He just couldn't believe it. I said, well, I can't really believe it either, you know? I, not only have I stayed sober, now I've got kids that are driving and stuff. So it's a, I'm very grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous and that. But... Um, you know, I think the thing about getting sober, this is sort of where I finally concluded with this, or my, my experience has led me to this, that, you know, we get sober at whatever age we get sober, um, just like anyone else. I mean, I, I only drank about five years, but I can assure you that in five years you can develop full-blown alcoholism. And, uh, and it's, I will say that I think that kind of sucks, quite frankly. I mean, I... I was a guy who would have enjoyed drinking, you know, well into whatever, you know, I, I, it wasn't my goal to quit drinking. But uh, somehow I ended up in a treatment center at 18 years of age. And I can tell you that was, I was as baffled as anyone that I needed to be there or that I was in fact there. I mean, I just had no idea that, that my life could get that out of control. I just loved to drink. You know, I just loved the effect. It didn't always get me into trouble, but I think pretty quickly my mind seized on the idea that if I could drink on a weekend, have a few beers or, or a little mixed drink with my friends on the weekends, why not do that, you know, during the week? And so I, I think, Stacy or somebody mentioned the delusions that we don't know the truth from the false, but I developed very quickly the delusion that, my, that when I drank, I was smarter, you know? <laughs> Because I felt so good, you know, like I would drink and I just, I feel this energy and I feel like I could talk to people and I was a scared kind of, kind of mixed up sort of kid. And uh, when I drank, it just took all that stuff away. And so I fell in the delusion that because I felt so good, it was making me smarter, you know. So I'm drinking during the week trying to write, you know, high school reports and, and uh, papers and all this stuff. And it was just a nightmare. So my drinking just ran out rapidly out of control. Um, completely lost it in my, my first year of college. I'm one of the very few people that I've ever met. I met one other person in AA that managed not to, not to even finish one semester of college. Like, you know, normally if you go to college and you drink really bad, they'll let you come back for the spring semester, you know? I couldn't even get out of the one semester. I mean, I just was, my drinking had, and again, just a few short years took over my entire life. Um, and so I sort of lead into that, and I'm very grateful that I was able to get sober. But some of the people that are here, I don't think Mickey and Bill are here uh, this year. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where they are, but they, they're from the Boone area. But I got sober and went back to school in Boone, and we uh, carried the message, uh, attempted to carry the message into places uh, up there. And it leads me sort of into a topic here about how we can be effective. I think sometimes, or how we can serve, is sometimes it helps to know your group too. We, we attempted to carry a message. Again, I got sober young and they thought that I would, and, and perhaps I would have been an ideal candidate. There was a youth facility out in, in sort of the Banner Elk area of, uh, of, of the Boone area, the mountains of North Carolina. And so we, we tried to put together some folks to go in there and I think I, ha I was only sober a few years, and I just had the expectation that this group was going to behave like a group on the outside. Like, we would come in, they'd be glad to see us, 
you know, they would be ready to hungry for the steps, you know, and ready to read the book and talk about traditions. And, and, and I think I was probably a little young in my sobriety. Again, I was, my ego told me I was ready to do that with those folks and all that. But quite frankly, I was not really ready to develop that group. And Mickey and Bill stepped in and, and were able to assist in that. But the point I'm making is that group was not going to be a well-developed AA group. It was a group you had to treat like a treatment center where you essentially carry the message. I think sometimes, I think they're doing that at the jail. Sometimes you have to sort of recognize the group you're working with. If you've got people that are coming in and out every month or, or just sort of a transient kind of prison population or jail population, sometimes it's better just to have speakers in there or to have the one, two, three steps. You know, sometimes I think a way to serve is instead of trying to impose something uh, that is difficult to develop, work with what you got. And so sometimes I, I just, I, I do the example that it's a little bit like carrying the message in a treatment center where you know you got people that are just there for a short period of time, bring some speakers in where they can have that process of identification and uh, hear the message that there's hope, you know, by, by carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous in that fashion. So we ended up um, in, that, in that particular prison, we, um, you know, we would set up the meeting and the, the young guys would go sit sort of a little further away from us than I was comfortable with. So next week I thought, well, we're going to set up over there where they were sitting last time. And we set up there, then they go sit over there. And so like over a month we were chasing them around the room. And, uh, but it was just, you know, and I, I thought, man, I, gotta, I wanted to put something like the principals group in there or the, you know, some of these really well-developed AA groups on the outside. And the reality is sometimes you got to recognize where you are. And so that meeting, we, Bill and Mickey, I, I credit them for it, ended up doing a very good job just sort of breaking that thing down as a much less formal meeting and a way to just kind of kind of have some topics and some, it, it just wouldn't, it was not going to work in the traditional structure that, that, uh, that I was used to. And so sometimes you have to recognize that. But, uh, but again, I've been in hard and other places where you could, you could have a chance to really uh, develop a group as well as you can on the outside. And, and it, I guess it leads me to the point that you can help them work the traditions on the inside too. You know, it, it's, uh, I always try to make the point when uh, Tony and I were going in that part of what I like to do at least every few months is tell people I'm not paid by the prison. I'm not a, a, you know, an employee or staff member of the prison because you have those IDs. Sometimes they'd make us wear them, you know, and it sort of looks like you're, you know, if you're a newcomer in that prison group, I might just look like some other staff member. I'm, I'm just one other program they're being sent to. And so I think I, I like to, to introduce, I think you can introduce the traditions into those groups and, the, and they're served by it. You know, it seems like it'd be too advanced for an A, uh, an a group in a prison, but they're, it's just like serving newcomers with the traditions. They're served by those traditions. They don't even know it yet, you know, until they, until they find out. But like, you, you know, we like to let them know we're, you know, we cooperate with that prison, but we're not affiliated with that prison. And I think that makes a huge difference sometimes because you, if you don't tell them that, I mean, you know, you come in, you're well-dressed, you, you know, a lot of times they have that sign-in sheet, you know, it looks like something else. So I think it, I, I like to let them know that we're there. I, I say that. We don't get paid to be here. We're, we're here to stay sober with you. It helps us to stay sober. So I think you can introduce the traditions in that fashion. Um, I think the idea that a group carries a message, uh, Tony did this many years ago. In fact, it's when I first started going into Harnett Correctional was we did a group inventory with them because the group had gotten kind of way off. They were just bizarre. They were doing a lot of problem-solving meetings. I think there may have even been some non-alcoholics participating in the group at that time. And Tony had the idea that we would come in and do a group inventory with them and have them say, you know, this is a group of AA. You have a message. What is the message you're carrying? And that group in Harnett embraced that idea. Oh, yeah. You know, like we're, you know, we're, this isn't something being imposed on us by the prison. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. And so we introduced them to, to the third tradition, uh, you know, that you know, the group is carrying its message and to consider what message it is carrying. And it really, I, I saw the light bulb come on with a lot of those guys like, oh, we're carrying something here. It's not just another school or program that we're doing. And you ought to consider how you're carrying the message. Are you studying the A literature? Are you working the steps? And we were able to get them to kind of follow the traditions on that. And that group ended up really taking off as a result of that group inventory. So much so that they ended up trying to practice a seventh tradition there. And so what they would do, um, again, I don't know whether they're still doing it now, but they would go pick up trash on the yard once a week as a way to kind of say that we're contributing back to the prison in a seventh tradition manner for the use of the room. 
And, and so they were, I mean, they were trying to embrace the tradition. So sometimes you get a good group going, you can really get them going on that. Um, they can, and they can kind of really take ownership of that. So um, a lot of good stuff there. Um, I, I think people went, well made the point earlier about, you know, showing up when you say you're going to show up. It's critical to do that. Uh, it is critical to look sober. I like to tell stories on myself sometimes because I have a tendency to think a lot of myself. And it, a lot of it sounds really good, you know, like your sobriety just progresses right along. But I, this is my, this is another prison story from, from Banner Elk. I can't remember the name of this prison now. It was, it was newly built 20 years ago or more than 20 years ago in the Banner Elk area. But I was probably sober two years. And, of course, I'm sober two years. I think I know a lot of stuff, you know. And... <laughs> And then I know a lot about it, and I did. I mean, I, I certainly knew more about eight two years than I did as a newcomer, and I had come a long way. But if I look back now to the guy that was sober two years, I had a long way to go, and was still making a lot of mistakes. But I, but I will just say this: I was well intentioned, and truly was, you know, trying to carry the message. And so no one ever told me this, but I, I had the they asked me to speak at that particular prison. This was a guy named Creighton, and Bill and Mickey were going out there to that Banner Elk prison, and. They asked me to speak, and so uh, I, you know, I knew I was going to speak. I can't remember which night of the week it was, but uh, I went and met a guy in their grandfather mountain. We drove the rest of the way over to the prison. It was over an hour to get there, but I had a thought in my mind. You, know, you can, sometimes you got to be careful where your mind takes you. And this is why it's good to have a sponsor and ask for help sometimes. <laughs> but I thought I'm going into prison. I'm not going to dress up. I don't want them to think I'm part of the prison. And so I showed up in what I thought was my best Grateful Dead tie-dye. It was a good one. It was fairly new at that time. And I was wearing my best pair of cargo shorts and Birkenstocks. So I thought, I'm going to go in just like I'm going to class here at Appalachian State, you know. And, and again, this is my best idea. And so um, uh, we get over there to the prison, and we're trying to check in. Nobody said anything. Someone probably should have said, the guy that met me in, at Grandfather Mountain should have probably had an opinion about what I was wearing, just because it, it was, you know, I had long hair. In fact, people used to call me Jesus. It was a joke. I, I always said it was because I was so spiritual, you know, that's why they called me Jesus. It's just because I had long hair and a beard when I got sober. And I suppose I looked a bit like Jesus. I wouldn't claim the spiritual part. But I did have, I did have long hair and a beard. And, and uh, you know, I, I was ready. I was responsibly sober. But I did not look responsibly sober when I showed up at that prison. I looked like I was trying to smuggle in a bag of weed. I mean, is that, if you had to just say, what, what's that guy doing coming in? He's trying to get something. I mean, really. I mean, it, so, you know, we're trying to check in. And then sort of over the loudspeaker, it was like, we're not going to allow Mr. Fry in the facility tonight. And that was all they said. And that, boom, I had to go back out. And that, that was it, you know. And so I, I learned a, a sort of a painful lesson there. It's funny now, I suppose, but I learned a painful lesson about showing up and looking sober, too. Um, again, I, I was responsibly sober, but I, I didn't always look it. And so I, I learned that lesson as well, kind of carrying the message. Let's see if I can. Oh, now I do want to just uh, finish up around this, this thought here. Um, you know, a couple of those guys, it's difficult. It can be frustrating doing correctional work or maybe any AE work if you try to sponsor a lot of people. I mean, we do see people that don't hang around, unfortunately. But, again, the, who benefits is us, me and you. You know, whether we have, have a good meeting in the prison that night or whether our sponsee starts drinking again, it's my job to carry that message. And it's well said in our literature, and that's how we, that's how we got here. I mean, Tom Ivester spent his whole life. Uh, carrying the message, you know, all over the world, you know, and, and I didn't know what a contribution he gave, but it was such an amazing contribution that he did. But but it can be frustrating, I think, sometimes doing correctional work. And uh, But I had a guy, um, and we're hoping that he's going to be able to, to speak tomorrow, but um, sometimes you can do some letter writing with folks and folks that are really engaged. And, and um, I've not had the experience of getting asked for money uh, that probably does happen sometimes, but the, the folks I've been able to write letters with, uh, we carried on a fairly lengthy correspondence. In fact, I sponsored the guy, James, uh, I, I think effectively. I mean, he, he would, we would write extensive letters back and forth, you know, seven or eight letters a year uh, of real depth kind of stuff. He had worked the steps with Carter when he was at Harnett, then he shipped out to a, a variety of other prisons all over the state over the years. And so I tracked him. Year after year, we had letters back and forth, back and forth, and we're able to, to really have a sponsee-sponsor relationship 
uh, in a way almost better than I had at Hornet because Hornet was real. Again, you got to do your best you can with facilities, but they, the time I got with him as a sponsor response, he was limited. And in the letter writing, we were able to go in a little more depth about what he was almost like when you're struggling with sixth and seventh type character defects. You're seeing those come up in your life working like he was doing work release and we were able to do some things together by, by letter. I thought it was very effective. So sometimes a way is you, know, you may not even be going into a facility, but take the time to write a letter back to someone. You know, if someone gives you a, you know, presents you with a legitimate, you know, near like this guy would write me pages of stuff. And I, I would write back pages of things to him, sharing my experience. And I hope he could read it. My handwriting's a little rough, but I, but it, you know, I think it was it. We were able to kind of work through that, and and uh, he was able to do that too. So we were able to kind of kind of do that. And I know for me, working with the facilities, we've had as good a relationship um, with uh, at Harnett Correctional. We could literally do anything we wanted. We got speakers. We were able to uh, have you know, good quality meetings. And then when the, I guess they call them superintendents or administrator changed, that relationship rapidly deteriorated in, in, in a really unfortunate way. Um, in fact, I think that's part of the reason we're not back in Hornet now. I think they just simply don't want to have us. It's just a hassle is, is what I think they perceive us as now. It was perceived that way before COVID. Like I said, it broke down a little bit. It's difficult for us to get in there. And so I think you got to begin to subtly push back against some of that. But we've had a very difficult time at Harnett. And it doesn't make it fun to carry the message when you feel like you're constantly fighting to get a speaker in. Or, I mean, it got to the point, really, I was covering for Tony when he chaired our home group meeting. Uh, this was in 2018 or 2019. And it was like if there was a whiff of rain on the horizon, they would let me in the gate. If there was, a, you know, there was some transfer, there was always an excuse. And you could tell that was coming from the top. And so I think we've talked at this conference about trying to do a program review where you meet with the warden or superintendent. And unfortunately at Harnett, we were getting stonewalled by the warden and superintendent. They didn't care either. And so that, that was a very difficult thing. And I suspect Tony and I are gonna have to find our way through that. Um, I, I suspect it's still the same superintendent we've got there. But uh, again, it's just one more thing they've got to do and so we, we're going to have to sort of push through that a little bit, I think, to get in there. So I think that's about all I've got. I'm grateful to be here. I really, I really appreciate uh, Rito last night, and, and the panel this morning was fantastic. It was great to, you know, it's great to see Stacy again. She was hanging around, you know, early in the 90s when we first started coming to this thing. And so I'm grateful to see everybody back here, and uh, it's been excellent. So thank you. Thank you, Robert. Uh, next panelist is Greg B. from Oriental. He's, he's a, a former past area chair, and I'm excited that he's here. Greg. Yeah, hey, everyone. My name is Gregory Bolmert, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, My sobriety date is December 13, 1987. And uh, the way I got into corrections wasn't very, uh, very noble. Uh, I got, I'm originally from the Bronx of New York City. Uh, I was going around AA up there, but I'm a retread. I was trying to do it my way. Uh, crashed and burned and uh, ended up in Baltimore, Maryland, where I finally did get sober. And uh, met a man who saved my life, Uncle Ralph. He was my sponsor. And uh, I don't know, maybe six or seven months into the program, he said, uh, Gregory, uh, it's time to give back what has been so freely given to you. And I knew that was code that he wanted me to share my story with the group. And being newly recovered, I, I lied to him. I said, I can't do that, Uncle Ralph. He goes, why not? I says, the statutes and limitations ain't up on half of that stuff. <laughs> and he goes, well, that is a concern, but I know how we can get around that. He says, we'll get down to the Maryland State Pen, and you could tell your stories to the boys there, because they ain't going nowhere for a long time. <laughs> Your story be safe with them. And I've been thwarted by my own, my own skullduggery. And uh, apparently that was a common thing because we showed up there and there was four other guys and each of us had like 15 minutes to, to share with the inmates. I guess they didn't want us to make them any sicker than they already were. And I walked out of there completely changed. Um, you may have heard me speak in the past between low voltage and high voltage recovery. And that's where I discovered high voltage recovery is uh, it says that over and over again in the big book, 
that working with a, directly working with another alcoholic will save the day when nothing else can. And uh, th again, that's the way I got started. I, uh, I left Baltimore, uh, I left New York City in 87. That's when I got sober in Baltimore. I left Baltimore and moved down a little town called Oriental in 94. And I was losing my mind down there because there wasn't any, any real 12-step service work to do. I mean, Oriental's at the end of Highway 55. You don't go through Oriental to get to anywhere else. You just go to, you just go to Oriental. And uh, there was no, uh, I mean, again, we just didn't have that much flow through the door, so the red meat wasn't there. And there was no 12-step uh, opportunities outside the home group. And then around uh, 86, 80, early 87, uh, 97, they uh, built the Pamlico Correctional Institution. And we went up there almost every month when they were building that place, and we'd knock on the door. Is the warden here yet? Is the warden here yet? And they finally let us in. We had our first meeting on September 22nd of 1998. We've been going in there for about 26 years now, except for COVID. And one time the place caught fire, and another time the hurricane blew a bit of the roof off. And uh, we have been absolutely blessed with the most supportive prison that you could possibly ask for before COVID. And we just recently showed back up at that prison, and nobody is there that was there before. Absolutely nobody. They won't even look in the filing cabinet for the program plan. Uh, they treat us like the red-haired stepchild. And uh, we are kind of rebuilding the whole process all over again. But to get back as to how the many different ways we can serve as a correctional facilities uh, chairperson, uh, back in the beginning, we were going to just be wonderful. We, I had some experience doing corrections up in Baltimore. We brought in a traditional AA meeting as best we could, uh, and that got off pretty well. But then I had a, a blessing again that I served with Tom Ivester uh, when he was the last committee chairperson for corrections. And then I was guided by him as I was the first correctional facilities coordinator here in North Carolina. And uh, during one of our many conversations, he said it particularly one way that struck with me. He says, Gregory, he says, our job is to give the boy and the girl in the box the same quality shot at sobriety that we had. And then he started, you know, telling me about the differences between uh, effectiveness. So we really kind of took a hard look at what we were doing down there in Pamico and we discovered something interesting and in the how it works it talks about how our um, uh, we tell our stories for the particular reason to uh, let people know what we have because it says if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it then there's a space then you are ready to start the program and take the steps. Okay, well, how are they going to know what we got unless we take the time to show it to them? And unfortunately, a lot of us on the inside and the outside come to believe that all you got to do is put the plug in the jug and life is going to get great again. You know, quitting drinking while being ugly and hard, that's the easy part. Staying quit is the hard part. Because if you're a retread like me, I quit a thousand times. Quitting wasn't the problem. Staying quit was. And that is where we get into the emotional sobriety or the spiritual awakening that they talk about in, the, uh, in our literature. And the truth is, is the prisons are very anemic on that. My sponsor told me, says, you know, I want you to do the 90 and 90. And I think I did 102 meetings or something like that in those 90 days. If you were to ask one of my boys down at Pamlico to do 90 meetings, it takes 1.73 years. I mean, I had a chance to bathe in it. I rolled in AA uh, when I was first coming in. And that's where I saw what you people had, the life beyond putting the plug in the jug. That's what enticed me to go to any lengths to get it. Not so, I, I knew in my head that I had to quit drinking and the other stuff, otherwise I was going to die. But when my heart got on board, and I said, I want what that man has. Now I had the want to, and then with the higher power and the guidance of a sponsor, I had all the tools necessary in a spiritual toolkit to work my program. 
But how do we do, how do we import that into the prison? We found that speaker meetings are just the favorite flavor. Uh, but again, we only uh, we, we set up a speaker meeting. We have a, a big book study. Then we have a twelve step study, and then on the fifth month uh, fourth Monday we'd have a discussion meeting. But that kind of moved over to uh, like a grapevine discussion, a grapevine tape or something like that, uh, again, to reflect life outside of sobriety. We tried some other aspects. We called a speaker step meeting, which was big at my home group in Baltimore. It's where like a, per a person would come in and they'd share like a little bit about what their life was like before they had the first step, when they realized they was powerless over alcohol and their lives become unmanageable. Then they share a little bit how that came into their lives, and then they share how their life is since that point. Now they know that they're powerless over alcohol, their lives have become unmanageable, and they're powerless over people, places, and things. And that added a lot of dimension within the same framework, but that was very, very oblivious to us in the first place because we leave the prison and go back and, and just roll in AA. We take a bath in it every day. I can go to as many meetings as I want. Uh, we, uh, we had to cultivate a relationship with our prisons. Um, it didn't dawn on me, but uh, Tom shared a story one time that a guard came up to him and said, do you have any idea how it makes me feel when you walk right past me like I'm not there and walk over and hug an inmate? And, no, I never thought of that. So now whenever I walk in, you can't really see the guy in main control who opens the door for you or the person, but I know they're in there. So I make it a point to wave at them. Uh, they all make it convenient. They wear name tags, like, hi, hey, you know, Tony, Joe, or whatever like that. And that really changes the whole atmosphere that when I have to ask for something special, like to bring in maybe uh, I want to do a workshop, they love that. Now, again, this requires me to go out and haunt my local community because I have to go to the big metropolis of Newburn to find these people to come down and share. And it got so bad before COVID that they'd see me coming and people start walking away. You know? But as you get to be an old timer, and as Tom shared with me again, he goes, scheming and conniving is perfectly acceptable as long as it has a spiritual basis. And I discovered who the active sponsors were up in the Newburn area, and I'd go whisper in their ear. So oh, I need someone to help me do a workshop in my prison. And sure enough, we would set up where we'd have two guys come in, and they'd tag team, or two people, man, woman, or whatever, and they'd tag team on the steps. And here we're bringing in our program, but we're bringing in in flesh and blood. We're letting these people see what it's life like to be uh, happy, joyous, and free. And, um, and also to support that, there's another issue that I ran into, is I'm doing a lot of public information work. Okay, uh, I'm trying to, to bring in the, the broad picture of the program into the prison, but on the flip side, as we shared tonight, a lot of my home group members and a lot of general people in AA think that in order to have something to present or be worthy uh, to bring into a prison, you gotta like have tattoos or be missing teeth or something like that. That is not the case, but a lot of people don't know that. And um, those people that I rope a dope in to come be in my workshops or be my guest speaker, I ask them deliberately, kind of buttonhole them, to share their experience. Was it spooky? Did anyone try to, you know, uh, kill you or anything like that? And the truth is, they, they're my best salespeople. So now I'm, I'm, I guess Tom used to call that recruiting. And it is pretty true because some of my guest speakers have mentioned that they would like to come back. And some people can't really do, like I, I look forward to going to that meeting every, every week. But we have some people who can only participate maybe once a month. But that's one of those many and varied faces of AA. I can't tell you in, the, in those 102 meetings I did in my 90 days, how many AA faces did I see? You know, when I first came in, you were telling me all these tall tales. You were telling me this fairy tale, and you're calling it the promises. I didn't believe any of it. But after those 90 days of all these people saying they saw it, they agreed with it, they believed in it, 
Those many and varied faces of AA convinced me there was something out there even though I didn't understand it. And that's what gave me that ability to move forward. Now, during the COVID times, they, of course, they threw us out. Uh, they also threw us out of the jail, and I could agree that the jail meetings are quite difficult. Uh, they don't, they're, they're temporary holding facilities. They didn't have a place for us to meet otherwise than right in the center of the pod at one of the tables that's bolted to the floor. And that was like trying to hold a, a meeting or a conversation at, at, at the zoo during feeding time. And I mean, I've actually sat there talking to a guy at one of these tables, and then the guy behind me at the other table is sitting there going, yeah, like this, you know, making faces and everything else like that. You have to kind of put that away, and it's really an information meeting. It just, the conditions are not right, but the, the information I was trying to bring in was simple. It doesn't have to be like this anymore. And uh, we'd bring in literature. They, gave, they actually let us have a little literature cart. And uh, we loaded it up with AA literature and grapevine, you know, in our own words and everything. There's a lot of good stuff out there. But the problem we run into is um, most people in prison have a very poor reading ability. They're basically illiterate. And uh, I was basically functionally illiterate when I first joined the Navy back in the early 70s. I didn't realize it at the time. But do you realize that we think with our words? So your vocabulary is your toolbox that you use to solve problems. And most of the time, uh, if you want to talk to me about carburetors, there's certain nomenclature we have to share in order for us to converse about carburetors. Same thing with recovery. And now that I know that I'm dealing with people who probably have a, a vocabulary where all the verbs are four-letter verbs, uh, it, I, I can better adjust for it, you know, because in the chapter in the big book where it says uh, working with others, if you read that carefully, that is a chapter that teaches you how to sneak up on an alcoholic. <laughs> it tells you to get to know about this guy, to put yourself in their shoes so you can know how to approach them. You know, I'm not trying to sell them the Brooklyn Bridge or anything like that, but I do have to be aware of, of their situation, the situation I'm in, and the resources that are available to me. And I also realized that there's a lot of ways we can cooperate. I tried to get, uh, if you don't know it, uh, a lot of times addiction alcoholism is generational. Uh, ACUA, Adult Children of Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, uh, I mean they have a, a big need in prisons also. And I tried to invite those people, because we have double winners in our groups, that are, and I, I go put the touch on them. I said, you got any people who want to come up to the jail with us? I'll, I'll tell you who to talk to and how to get involved and such like that. And they did, but unfortunately, they, uh, they wouldn't let us have two literature carts. So what we did is we put a shelf on the bottom of our literature cart, then AA, of course, gets the top shelf, and then the uh, ACOA and the Al-Anon stuff goes down the bottom. But that's how we, co we cooperate with each other. And it's also how these people thought that arm wrestling with a warden or, or a, a sheriff was this big spooky thing. And it's really not. And I'd be happy to share my experience with anyone who wants to be of maximum use to God and their fellows. You know, because when they say that in our big book, it doesn't, it implies it's alcoholics. But I really do believe that if I can be helpful in any fashion, my, uh, my wife rope a dope me into serving on a panel in our county that I didn't even know existed. It was the JCPC, Juvenile Crime Prevention Council. Had no idea who they were. And I ended up going to a meeting. You know something? They had no idea who Alcoholics Anonymous was. So here I all of a sudden become a liaison where I can answer questions, provide literature, and more importantly, I can provide meeting lists. Because if these professionals say, oh, you need to go to AA, you might think about AA. Okay, the next question is, where is it? So we have a nice uh, you know, meeting list that I handed out. And then they, they rope a dope me into another uh, com committee. This one's called the Pamico Craven Cooperative. Okay, and I went to one of those meetings, and I didn't know who they were, and they didn't know who I was or AA was. And it turns out there's uh, healthcare people have to have these meetings where they take all the services in a general area and uh, try to coordinate them uh, so they can make it available to the community. Well, when a person goes to prison 
that leaves a big hole in a family, and when a person gets out of prison, that also creates a lot of issues. And the little packets that they gave the inmates to uh, help them when they get out is usually so outdated and obsolete that it's a little of no, uh, no help. So again, I was able to give our literature and our contact information to these people, and they've been able to give me a list that might be very helpful to the guys who get out who ask for it. Uh, again, I'm, it's that cooperation thing. I'm, I'm not going to pass any of that stuff out at the AA meeting, but uh, we try to have this good old boy network of bridge the gap, and a lot of questions get asked, and I hate telling people I don't know, or at least here, go talk to these people. They know. Uh, so there's a, a, lot of, a lot of room along those lines that uh, we have done a lot of good. And um, back to the, uh, well, to the jail, we haven't been able to get back in there yet because, unfortunately, the, uh, the men who are going in uh, declined to go back in and renew their efforts. And I just, my schedule is such that I, I can't do it alone. And Tom also mentioned that we shouldn't make promises we can't keep. But the one thing that's really tearing my heart out is uh, now that they closed Fountain and Mary Francis, there's no place for women to help out within 100 miles of us. And before COVID shut us down, we had a strong female part of our AA community coming into the woman's side of the jail. And uh, unfortunately, those women either retired, died, or moved away during COVID. And uh, there's a couple of new ladies who want to get involved into the jail, at least on the, on the woman's side. And I could help them. Again, I could take them meet with the try to meet with the people that we had contact with in the jail. So as far as the different ways to serve as a correctional facilities representative, I've come to find as numerous ways. And uh, as was said here, you know, some groups are stronger than others. Some groups that cohesiveness that we is already established in other groups, especially now that we're reconstructing a lot of them, uh, you might really have to import a bigger dose of uh, the live uh, many and varied faces of AA so these people can see what's going on and get to that point that we're, uh, you know, we're not blowing smoke or whatever like that. Uh, again, I can go on and on, but unfortunately, I think I'm just about out of time. So I want to thank you for letting me share. I'd like to thank the panelists. Great job. Uh, it is almost 12 o'clock. I think we'll come back in here at 2.